the idea that we should be better right away, we should be back to our old selves right away, the idea that we should then remain that way permanently is an absolute myth. And it sets us up to feel like we're doing something wrong when we're not. It's just normal. Hi, I'm Amy Kiefer, a nurse, doula, and personal trainer. And I'm Crystal Howell, a women's health and orthopedic physical therapist. We're the co-founders of Expecting and Empowered, and we just so happen to be sisters. We built this business because we saw a huge gap between the information that women were given during pregnancy and postpartum and the information that they need. We're committed to helping close the gap so that women are better equipped to navigate these demanding and challenging years. Yes, we're both moms of three, so we know firsthand how many changes women go through physically, mentally, and emotionally because women aren't getting enough information to make informed decisions about their own health. It leaves mothers picking up the pieces afterwards. We need that to change. With our professional backgrounds, we're going to pull the curtain back on this season and give you the information you need to thrive. We're on a mission to change women's health. Let's do this. Today, we're going to talk with Dr. Morgan Cutlip. She is a wife. She's a mom of two. She has a PhD in psychology, and she's passionate about helping moms understand their relationships with themselves and their partner. I love that you have such an emphasis on mastering your relationship with yourself because there is this, what feels like a sacrifice of identity when it comes to motherhood. So I would love if you could talk more about this identity shift that often happens from both a personal and then also a professional lens. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. I love sitting and chatting with you. So it's just such an honor to be here. Yeah. So per, I'll start with the personal side. Um, I always knew I've been in the field of relationship education for a very long time, for over 15 years and working alongside my dad, helping couples and helping singles. And I always knew that someday I wanted to do something for women, but it just wasn't very clear to me. Then I became a mother and I was totally convinced that I would just be this phenomenal mom, that it would come easily to me, that I I had good parents. My dad's in the field of psychology. We chatted about things. We have family meetings. I have the education. I was like, this is going to be a breeze. I know what I'm going to do. I know our consequences. I know the stuff. Like I got it all down. And uh, our daughter was born. Her name's Effie. And uh, she's almost 10 now. It's kind of crazy. But um, she was born and I mean, just came out like a firecracker. Like I was not prepared for her temperament. I wasn't prepared for the changes that we know um, research-wise almost all mothers experience, which it sounds like a duh thing, Um, but I did not expect it, which is this crazy loss of freedom that we feel, women feel, and this massive amount of increase of responsibilities and um, has been actually left to take a new job. We were in Florida at the time in California. And so I spent the first eight months of her life kind of on my own um, for her first child. And I was totally lost um, trying to figure out how to get like more than an hour of sleep at a time. I didn't recognize myself. I felt totally incapable And I was like, you know what, (laughs) someday I recognize that I'm going to come out of this complete haze 
and this complete just like feeling of being so consumed by motherhood. And when I come out of it, I'm going to figure out how to help moms navigate this better. And so that's my personal experience. I, it took me a while, honestly, to figure out how to get my way back to me and to feel more whole as a mom while still managing this like deep desire to be a really, really good mom to our kids. Um, But I think, I think I've figured it out. I think I've gotten there. Um, So we can talk more about it, but you know, professionally, this, the shift in identity, um, I don't know if we've done a good job fully articulating it. I, you know, two of the things I already mentioned, that loss of freedom and then that increase of responsibility is really big. But I think that when we talk about identity shifts, we need to talk about the whole person. So, mm. you know, our as a mom, we go through this um, physical change, right? It's like actually like our bodies change. They look different. They feel different. Um, if you're nursing, you have all those physical changes. I think there's some emotional changes, um, how we like all the fears we can come up with after our kids are born that we just never even anticipated. I remember feeling so anxious after our daughter was born. Um, and also after our son was born too, and never being an anxious person really before being like my emotional life feels different. Our mental life changes the amount of things we're carrying in our minds and thinking about and anticipating. I think that our, um, Sensory life changes. I don't remember being so sensitive to sounds and noises and touch until after becoming a mom. And then I think our relational life changes. And so how we relate to ourselves does need to shift in big ways. Um, if, if that's not something we've been really good at prioritizing and then even our relationship with our partner, our friends, all of this stuff shifts. So I think the identity change is like, it's pervasive. I mean, when you put it like that, it right it all in front of us, it makes sense why so many of us felt a struggle. But then I think the toughest thing for women is that we, we can be hard on ourselves and be like, why is, why don't I feel like myself? Why am I struggling with this? She looks like she's doing great. Um, but when you put it all out there, it just makes so much sense. And it leads right into the next question because you have this post where you reframed the idea of losing yourself. I think we hear that a lot. Like I lost myself in motherhood and you gave examples of, did you actually lose yourself or are you just expanding Mm -hmm. or did you actually lose yourself or did your world just contract temporarily? So I would love if you spoke to these reframes and shared why these might be helpful. Yeah. So, I mean, losing yourself in motherhood is it's, it's, it's like lingo we all understand and that resonates with us. Um, it's in my book title, Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself. So like, I think that that's a phrase that really hits home and, and kind of labels our experience. Um, and I think, you know, I, I kind of think of it like it's, it's like giving birth, right? You have these like contractions that are painful and then out of it comes this really new beautiful uh, life. And I think that motherhood is very similar. Um, right after you become a mom, your world really does contract in some really intense ways. I This is part of what caught me off guard. I don't know how I didn't know. Like nobody told me. I didn't have a lot of mom friends. And so I was like, oh my gosh. It was like this realization of, is this 
my life forever. Like this intensity of this constriction of my like ability to move through the world, even without something attached to me. And this realization that like, you know, gosh, these kids are gonna be tied to me forever. That's a heck of a commitment. Like this is scary, right? So this temporary intensity. Um, but I think that the phrase losing yourself misses a really key aspect of motherhood that's really beautiful, which is that it's it expands our worlds and it's supposed to expand us personally. So the the like key or a hallmark quality of any healthy relationship is that it's going to shine light on areas that you you need to expand and you need to grow and you need to work on. And I think motherhood does that in really cool ways and sometimes painful in hard ways, um, but in ways that are really deep and really meaningful and your life. And like, this isn't a judgment on anyone who doesn't have kids. You can obviously do the work and all mm-hmm. of the things, but I think that this piece of motherhood that it's like, whoa, my world just expanded in all of these beautiful ways that wouldn't have if we, if we didn't have kids. And um, I think that's just something that we can lose when we're in the constricted aspect of motherhood. And that period can last for a little while. And then um, you kind of enter into this new space. That answer made sense to me. And like, sometimes I think we're really hard on ourselves if we don't get back to the things that, you know, for, for example, I've shared this, but like my friendships, I was like, I just need, like, I can't give what I used to give for, for a period of time. Of course, I probably didn't have the foresight to know it was for a period of time, but I'm like right now in this season, like, I just cannot give what I can normally give. And just to, kind of normalize the fact that things are going to change. I mean, how could they not? They're going to change. Um, but then maybe someday there's like a recalibration of, you know, adding things in that you miss. I do think that more people are learning about the mental load these days. Oh, I can see I say one thing before, yeah, for sure. because I'm like, you're really pulling out something that I think is so important. Yeah. It's like a universal law of life that, um, that, that just like life is going to screw up your relationships. Um, I talked about this actually, I know this is going to air at a different time. But I talked about this on Instagram several times. Um, and they're not like super popular posts, you know, cause I'm talking for a while, but it's an important message, which is like, life's going to mess up your relationships, even the good things even the beautiful things. Um, Think about marriage after kids. Holy moly. Talk about kind of being like, this is a bit inconvenient to our relationship. (laughs) And so I think that we, you know, it's the same principle when we think about our relationship with ourselves. Having kids, it's going to mess up your relationship with yourself. It's going to mess up all those domains I talked about, right? Physical, emotional, mental, sensory, um, relational. It's going to mess these things up. And that's normal. So I like what you said about like, we need to be a little easier on ourselves. We need to normalize this. I mean, the, 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 I don't know, like the um, next step to that is, is that, well, it's normal, but off also you do have to recalibrate at some point. And because when you remain sort of messed up for a prolonged period of time, that's when you lose yourself deeply in your motherhood, or even if your relationship is kind of has these deficits over time, that's when problems can really occur. But the idea that we should be better right away, we should be back to our old selves right away. The idea that we should then remain that way permanently is an absolute myth. And it sets us up to feel like we're doing something wrong when we're not, it's just normal. 
Yeah. It's interesting too the messaging that we get as women, for example, just like the idea of date nights. I'm like, honestly, after (laughs) each of our sons, we have three kids first six weeks. I'm not even interested in honestly dating you. And people are like, just watch a movie together. I'm like, I have to sleep. Like, and my husband knew that it's like, I needed to prioritize my sleep and my mental health. And like, I knew that that wasn't going to last forever. Like we will get back to spending time together at night right now. I'm doing all I can to just get myself the sleep I need. So if we're putting pressure on ourselves to think that every aspect of our life is going to be able to be attended to. It's just not going to be possible. So that, that one speaks to, I wish I heard people talk more openly when I was a first time mom. Um, when I was a first time mom, it was more the like picture perfect motherhood on Instagram. Like that's Mm -hmm. when I had my first baby. And so now I do like that people are opening up about things that are difficult one thing that I've seen a lot more getting talked about is this idea of the mental load Mm -hmm. and how hard it can be on women. So I wanted to know, can you define this for us and tell us why does it seem like moms in particular generally shoulder it? Yeah. So the mental load is such a big piece after kids, especially it exists before. Absolutely. But after kids, it's, it's especially bigger and heavier. So the mental load is, um, almost like the internal running list of things that, um, traditionally women manage and are in charge of. Um, I recently was talking somewhere about this and they were like, men have a mental load too. I was like, yes, that's true. However, a lot of times the mental load of men is predominantly occupied by work. The stereotypical, but this is what research, tends to be. Yeah. Right. Research says this is what tends to be. Um, it's mostly work, less like if you had a pie chart, most of it's work, less of a sliver is home and family life. Whereas women, even if they work full time, the majority of their pie chart is kids and home and stuff. So it's things like um, researching, you know, what's the best preschool? What's the best non-toxic shampoo? It's the worry work. Um, oh, our son's having trouble with friendships. What do I need to read to try to help him out? What am I going to do? It's managing the relationships in the family, um, your romantic relationships your partnership usually falls on the shoulders of women. And there's a couple key features about the mental load that are really important to understanding it. One is that it's invisible most of the time, which brings up a whole lot of challenges when trying to explain it to your partner. That's what I hear is like one of the hardest parts of it is like they don't get it. Um, And when it's invisible, it can be really tricky to make visible. Um, The other is that it takes up, I call it cognitive real estate, So it crowds out space in your brain that could be filled with other things like thinking about sex, like thinking about like, um, like relaxation, like it crowds that stuff out, that sensation of sitting on the couch and just like melting into it. A lot of us struggle with that after, uh, kids, especially and why, because we have this crazy heavy list of things that um, are always going that we're like, oh, I can't stop because I'm going to get behind. And um, so that's the other piece. And then the third is that it doesn't necessarily end, you know, like, for example, making dinner and all that's involved in putting together dinner, if you're the one that handles this, is there are several steps in your mental load around this. And it's like, 
you do it on Wednesday, sorry, you're going to be doing it on Thursday too. So a lot of the tasks in the mental load just continue on and on and on. So you already alluded to it in that answer, but one thing that we did want to ask about is this idea that it can be really hard to bring this up to your partner. How do we let them know how we're feeling without getting them to be defensive? Like at the end of the day, we're looking for help. Like honestly, the goal would be that we could offload some of the mental load. How do you talk about this with your partner? This is honestly the million dollar question um, and the one that comes up all the time. And I feel like I get really frustrated with myself that I'm not like a black and white person because there's just a lot of nuance to this conversation. So um, I'll give you a few ideas and suggestions. So um, one is it's like you've got to gauge how receptive your partner is and you just gauge it by in you know, inviting in the conversation. So I always say, don't strike when the iron is hot, strike when the iron is cold. So like, don't do it where you're like, Hey, I told you to move that box five hours ago and it's still sitting there. You never do it. When I say like, that's not the right time to talk about the mental load. You're going to like stir up tons of defensiveness. And so try to do it when things are relatively good. You have a little peace and quiet from the kids and, um, you start entering into the conversation and it sounds something like, um, Hey, I've been really overwhelmed for a while now, and I've tried to really figure out what is going on. Why am I so stressed out? I'm checking through my to-do list, yet I just keep feeling this heaviness. And there's this term called the mental load. You can call it, there's other terms you can choose if you don't like that one. And it's like this invisible list of stuff that I manage, and it's crowding stuff out in our relationship. It puts me in a bad mood. It makes me not have as much energy for, and then just like fill in the blank, whatever, maybe your sex life. Maybe it's, that's just a common one that really comes Mm -hmm. up a lot. Um, And can we talk about it and how we can figure out a way of handling it that feels better to the, to the two of us? Cause I don't want us to get to a place where I'm huffing and puffing around the house, slamming dishes and resentful that I'm the, I'm the only one who sees this. I'm the only one who does this, right? That place. We all know that place. So, um, can we, can we have a conversation around this? So that's like, that's ideally how you want this conversation to go. I do find that there are some major barriers that can come up sometimes. And so I I actually have a whole guide. I offer it for free at this time, a whole guide to navigating this conversation that people can download. But I talk about three major barriers, which is um, your partner's mindset, unexpressed expectations, and defensiveness. For example, one mindset barrier that can come up in these conversations is that we only talk about our relationship when something's wrong. And so immediately when you're like, hey, can I talk about Mm. something with you? They're like super defensive about it. And so first, before you get into this conversation, you guys got to get on the same page. Like it's normal to talk about stuff in our relationship because like I said earlier, our relationship is going to continually get screwed up by just the elements of life and the factors of life and the busyness. And so we got to touch base. So um that guide actually walks people through how do you navigate and I give scripts through an entire conversation. How do you navigate this? Because um, this is where a lot of times people get shut down and then they, then they don't make any progress around the mental load. I'll say one more thing. I've been doing a bunch of interviews with women around the mental load and something that comes up that I don't hear talked about as much is that um, sometimes we want stuff 
to offload. We want our partners to step in more. And sometimes we just want recognized for everything we do and appreciated. And um, so it can help too to get really clear in this conversation about like, and this is what I want. Like, I want you to more regularly tell me you see everything I'm doing and you appreciate it and I'm valuable. Um, or, you know, I want you to actually do X, Y, or Z. We need to find a new way of you like getting better at taking initiative. So getting clear about what would help you as well can be, can be beneficial. You're always touching on my next question, which I love because <laughs> I just this, talk I- long enough. <laughs> <laughs> this idea of taking initiative, because yeah. what we hear from our community, what I've heard time and time again from friends is their partner will be like, why don't you just ask me for help? Just tell me what to do. I'll help you. And it's this idea that women are like, I don't want to be your mom. Like I already have kids. I want you to know what to do. Like I don't always want to be your manager. So how do we get to a place where our partners (laughs) might have a little bit more of that initiative that you were talking about? Yeah, this is such a big one. I mean, the problem that that people get uh, fired up about asking is because I feel like it's this assumption that sort of this underlying assumption of the question, which is that um, you own all the stuff unless you delegate it. And I think that's the rub. And I don't know if that's always clear for the, 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 usually the guys who are like, just tell me what to do. Like, I'm good. Like, I'll do it. Don't worry. You know, and you're like, you don't understand. Like, you're acting as if it's mine. And I think that's the piece that really rubs people the wrong way. And so I'm actually not against, um, asking on both sides, but I do think it has to be balanced with other behaviors. So, um, a better question than, tell me what to do or what can I do would be something along the lines of give me two things that you usually take care of that I can take on permanently and teach me how to do them once. And from then on out, I don't want you to worry about it. So like stepping into this, um, cause, cause people are like, I shouldn't have to tell them how to do it. Don't they just know? Well, not necessarily. Like I, my husband for a long time, I always packed the kids lunches. He didn't know what was going on. Um, especially at our kids, son when he was in preschool if I had anything that was even like related to a coconut it got sent home with a nasty note so um he didn't know so for me to expect him to get it perfectly right the first time is unrealistic so um teach him once so have have the partner step into the desire to know to take it on permanently and be like be teachable be teachable about it and then don't don't um continue to ask after that (laughs) take it on. I think the other piece is that partners need to get uh, better at, uh, somebody said this in a podcast that we did, um, collecting data. So part of um, taking initiative is increasing your awareness of what happens in the home. So paying more attention. I think that a lot of times women are so good at getting everything done that it's like we give our partners this pass of actually really paying close attention to things. And so uh, we have to change that dynamic a little bit and and welcome them in to paying attention. Hey, pay attention to what's going on with the kids. Um, now you're going to know what they need and what needs done. And so helping them to kind of step into that role. 
Okay. I'm going to say two things in response. First, I completely agree. I'm like, honestly, I'd rather ask than ruminate about it because what I used to do (laughs) is like be packing the bags and then watching him. He's very slow and that's fine. But like, like watching him would be my trigger. So now I'm like, I might as well say, can you, and then name, you know, two things I need his help with rather than, cause I'd really get myself worked up to a spot where it's like, I could have spoke up earlier because I knew I was heading down this path. <laughs> but then number two, it was really funny when you gave that lunch example, because recently our kids only need a packed lunch on Fridays mm-hmm. and I do it every Friday and one Friday. And I gave a warning. I was like, you do the lunches. Like I'm tired of doing the lunches and And then he's calling out to me, what, what do I pack in the lunches? And I said, a lunch, you pack a lunch and a lunch. Like I just, he always feeds them. Like there are children, they eat all the time. Like if a grown man couldn't figure out what to pack in a lunch, I have concerns. And to your point, like there are allergies. And so of course I could tell him those, but other than that, I'm like, Baby, you're 37. You've got to figure this out. Yes. And I think that's the thing of like, if you're going, so let's say you handled it like, hey, you're going to be in charge of the lunches. Let me give you an example lunch that I do. Okay. You good? Okay. We're done here. Right. So it, it's like this shared sort of, uh, it's a collaborative approach, right? Of like, I'll, I'll teach you and I'll instruct you once, but then it's the re- partner's responsibility. I know this feels like you can't control this as much, but it's the partner's responsibility then to like own that, right. to take that on, to think about it. I mean, these men can figure out really amazing things. You can figure out what to pack a lunch. And, and then, and if it becomes an issue of like every Friday, he's like, what do I pack? Oh, I can't find the, the, Hawaiian rolls. I don't know, whatever, yeah. like, you know, you, then, then it's like, okay, we got to have a talk because it seems like something is feeling difficult about this. Like what's going on? Because I don't want to, when I'm handing it off to you, I want this empty space in my brain where it used to exist and you are not letting me have that. So what is going on? Let's troubleshoot. And because you're capable. So there are yeah. these, I think that's a, a takeaway about the conversation with the mental load. There's just a lot to say around it, but, um, is that it's not a one and done conversation. Mm-hmm. It should be a regular touching base around the mental load because the mental load is changing. I mean, we're approaching summer break. Okay. The mental load is dramatically different over the summer than it is on the school year, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the, for the worse. And so, uh, it's important that there's regular discussions around who's doing what, who's taking, taking care of what, or maybe even times to just express appreciation which goes back to this whole thing of like, if you and your partner get all defensive, anytime you try to talk about something in your relationship, you're going to just continually be um, having issues when you want to have these conversations. You got to deal with that. Yeah. There's always going to be this balance of like, you don't want to show up and you don't just give it to them, but like, also we're allowed to expect you to be a adult that can really participate. It gets interesting though, because sometimes, you know, either gender, we have this, we have this feeling of, we do want things done in our time. 
So we see this a lot. I see this a lot on the internet. It's like you ask your partner to do something and you wanted it done 10 minutes ago (laughs) and he or she might not do it for a few hours. And then like the disparity on the timeline is the thing that causes the fight. Can you coach us in this area? (laughs) They're hard questions. I know. Well, cause it's like, it's almost like, show me, like bring me the woman and let's sit and and troubleshoot the specific example because there's so many nuances to these things, but I'll just talk generally. So wait, can I I give you a good example and then you can troubleshoot it? Okay. So, you know, my co-host on my other podcast, Abby, Mm -hmm. what would really grind her gears is like, they would like Colin could relax before her. So like Mm. she really wanted him to do the dishes so that her mind could kind of churn off and she could also relax. So I think a lot of women are like, let's get the work done and then we can both relax. And the guy is like, gosh, we just got the kids to bed. I just need to decompress. I want to watch the game and I'll do it at halftime. And it's that small, like, cause that seems small, right? Like that seems like, oh yeah, that that makes sense. Like I can see it from his perspective. Like, why can't he wait to halftime if he is going to really do it? Yeah. And from her perspective, I can also see like, it does really bother her. She can see those dishes and like her mind just can't let them go. Yes. Okay. But he'll do them. I want to be clear. He'll do but them. He'll do them. Okay. He'll do them. So that's, that's a differentiator yes. here. Okay. So I, when I talk about the mental load, I talk about it, um, in two, like two areas and they overlap too, but it's the between. So that's between you and your partner. So anytime you talk about the mental load, you'll be talking about that stuff, but there's also the within. So that's like my individual aspects that I'm bringing to the mental load, the conversation, how it's handled and all this stuff. So you've got these two sides and it's important to kind of like do this almost like check in with both sides. Is this an issue that we need to deal with between the two of us or is this an issue that is like a within issue? And I think that this, this timing one could be either a between or within or a little bit of both. But, um, so in, in that specific example, I would challenge her about it being a within issue. So I I talk about like within behaviors that backfire. If I can remember them, there's five. So um, impatience is one. Impatience, keeping score, criticism, micromanaging, and I'll come back to it. Um, And so what will happen sometimes is somebody will have that impatient feeling and then they'll just do it. It's like, I can't, mm. I can't relax until the dishes are done. I know you said to do them at halftime, but I'm just going to do it. How it backfires is that it makes sure it remains on your plate. It doesn't actually move you forward in relieving some of your mental load, some of the logistical aspects of it, or that these behaviors will kind of sour the tone of your relationship. Like when you're like, if your husband packed the lunch and you were like, nice job, like, yeah, I could have done a whole lot better than you. Like if you criticize it, it's like, well, he doesn't really want to pack the lunch anymore. After that. <laughs> it's like, he's just going to be about that. So there are some within things that we have to take ownership of and work on that can help the mental load. It's not blaming the victim. It's not any of that stuff. It's just relationship dynamics. There's always these two different components. So I would challenge her that, okay, it sounds like this is a great growing opportunity for you to learn how to relax with a little bit of mess and to also trust that your partner is, is, is like a man of his word. He's going to do it. 
And so um, sit down on the couch and watch the game too. Like tolerate that discomfort until it's not discomfort anymore. Because um, the minute you do it for him, the the minute that um, you're like really just taking more on. And, you know, our partners are separate humans and entities too. They're allowed to have a little bit of say. I know this could be taken to the extreme, so that's another conversation. Right. But like they're allowed to have some say uh, when they do stuff. They're not our children. We're like, put your shoes on, brush your teeth, right? All of this. So um, I think it's important that we, you know, honor their autonomy a little bit too. So um, it's it's I really relate to it because I struggle with this. I would look over at Chad. My husband's name is Chad. I look over at him um, sitting on the couch and he is a worker. Like I'm watching him walk back and forth right now. He's like working in the yard, building stuff like he's a worker. Um, he does stuff and he like sit on the couch for a minute and the sink is full of dishes and I'd be just on fire inside. I would be so mad. I'd be like, what? You just expect me to do this? Until one day it was like, wait, I could sit on the couch too. And I did. And guess what? 10, 15 minutes later, he was in the kitchen doing the dishes. And so that was a within piece. And um, I would say that example is within too. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. My husband and I, we do have very different personalities. So it speaks to me because one thing I learned, I don't know what therapist, I've probably interviewed like 50 therapists at this point <laughs> in my life. I don't know what therapist had said it, but like Drew has a different preference than I do, but his preference doesn't mean that he's right. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of us start to operate like, no dishes should be done before yeah. we sit down as if it's right. And it's like, yeah. well, no, it's not really right. It's your preference, yes. but it, an hour later, nothing's going to happen negatively. So that one's really interesting. One thing that we do see with women, I've seen this a lot with my friends, is that we can idealize how something is going to go. So something inside of motherhood, I know for me, for whatever reason, and like, I don't even know why I thought that breastfeeding would just be like supernatural and easy to me. <laughs> and it absolutely wasn't. And it is to some people, my sister, yeah. who I own this business with, never had a sore nipple. And I was like crying every time I fed. So when we start to idealize something and then our ideal doesn't match the reality, mm -hmm. how does this become hard for women? Yeah, actually, um, in my book, the first chapter, I outlined three conflicts that moms face that make motherhood feel really challenging. Because I think sometimes they'll be like, Mom, motherhood is hard. And we're like, okay but why? And so it can be really helpful to define things. And this is one of them, my ideals versus my reality. And um, it, the reason is, is because when you hold an ideal and that's what you go into a situation with, whether it's um, an ideal about like, this is what an ideal mom looks like. This mm -hmm. is um, the, what an I help and the temperament, like the ideal temperament for a mother comes across or, or whatever. Um, when we hold this ideal and our reality is vastly different, it just sets us up for disappointment and frustration. So the discrepancy or like I call it the gap between our reality and our our ideals uh, is, is where a lot of times guilt, uh, shame, frustration, feeling like we're falling short, feeling like you're not enough, all of that stuff really takes root and grows in that gap. 
And so I think this is a huge source of um, struggle for moms. I think, and ideals come at us in a lot of different ways. I mean, think about social media and you talked about, I grew up with like the, the curated mom phase of Instagram. And so there is some of that still. Uh, and then there's a whole lot of the other stuff too. So it's a bit more balanced, but we still have that. Um, I think you can, I, I remember like going to the park and just feeling like I was, I had like pit stains and just was a hot mess and seeing these moms who were really like in flow, which I don't know if that's true. Like, that's probably just they at least good... look like it. Right, they like, look they like look... it. I probably caught them on a <laughs> like, good why day. Why do you have a nice <laughs> outfit on? And I'm yeah. like, I honestly have my, my hair on top of my head. I know. And you're like, oh, I feel terrible. So I think all these ideals come from us in, in place, you know, places like that and images like that. But also we start creating almost the whatever you want to call them, frameworks or templates for ideals since we're really, really young. Um, our experiences being raised by our main caregivers, whether it's a mom and a dad or looks really different for your family, whatever that looks like, we're creating these frameworks for like, this is what a good fill in the blank looks like. This is how they act. This is, um, or this is, you know, I want to be the opposite of that. And so when you start to look like something you're trying to avoid also, mm. there's this, um, this discrepancy that occurs. So it's a big, it's a big factor in, in for women, I think in all domains of life and especially for moms. Oh, that spoke to me like two that I could give just a very quick example is this idea of, I just knew that I wanted my baby to have breast milk for 12 months. I had no freaking evidence of like what my body was going to, how my body was going to respond. Yeah. I was a working mom with a nursing job where I was running my butt off. And we, of course we got time to pump, but it was very chaotic. So yeah. just the idea that we make these goals without even having to having started yet, it's like that pressure. And then the other one I was going to say is my mom did yell when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, I was like, I am not going to be, I am not going to yell. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I had a really easy time. I would say until my kids were probably like three. Oh yeah. And I'm like, Oh, look at me. I'm like, not a yelling mom. And then all of a sudden, like a four-year-old that turns up, you know, an attitude and I'm yelling and I even experienced mom rage. I was like, it was so distressing for me because yes. that was exactly what I didn't want to do. Yes. Yes. And that's the gap, right? That like, ideally I'm going to breastfeed for 12 months. Ideally, like my ideal is that, um, it's going to be, it's going to come easily to me. And when you don't hit that and your reality is so different, you're like, what's the matter with me? Or I'm never going to yell. And now I'm yelling. So what's my problem? Or why do other moms make it look so easy? You know, all that sort of stuff that tears us down and takes up energy, um, occurs in that gap. So like, you have choices, you know, if you realize you're in one of these places, which is you can, you can start to shift your ideal, um, to be more realistic. And then even sometimes, you know, sometimes we have to shift to become more like our ideal as well. And so, uh, I know I've had moments where I don't want to yell either. It comes out, I'm a fiery person, um, which I didn't realize until after kids. Um, <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, I got a big personality and here it is. And so, uh, yeah, like there were times where I was like, whoa, 
I got to check myself here because I am not living up to my ideal. And so I need to, I need to make some changes. So it goes both ways. Absolutely. Now I want to talk about this idea of burnout. I think over the past couple of years, it's something that a lot of women and men really experienced. And do you have any evidence as to like, what are these like big energy drains that we have in our lives that lead us to burnout? Yes. It's so many things. And I think that's, I don't know if that's been become really clear. Um, I don't know where on social or things like that about how much stuff and just our regular day-to-day life actually takes our energy that um, leads to burnout. But it's a lot of things that are part of motherhood, like uh, delaying gratification, which is one, I mean, and if you think about also your kids, think about these things with your kids too. And you'd be like, oh, that's why they're melting down after like they had to wait a really long time for this. And then finally it comes, you know, and it's like, that was exhausting. It's exhausting to do that. Um, making choices and decisions, which we do all the time as moms, um, controlling our impulses. So when we, when you want to yell and you don't yell, you're zapping some of that some of that energy, um, planning things, which we do all the time. Low blood sugar actually is related to not necessarily burnout, but like this idea of our energy kind of getting zapped pretty quickly. It has a major effect on that. Uh, lack of sleep, which is like check, 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 check for all of these things. Um, and self-criticism. So I, I mm-hmm. just wanted to highlight some of the ones that moms I think deal with the most. Um, and you know, this negative self-talk that comes in so often in motherhood, I know I struggled with it early on a lot. Um, that takes energy to manage and the more energy we're putting towards managing all of these things, the less we have, um, to pour into the things that probably are really meaningful and matter to us. And so if you're in a place in life and you're like, gosh, why am I so drained? Why don't I have creative energy left? Why don't, well, um, reflect on some of the energy sucks going on in your life. I bet there's quite a few. Yeah. I think what happens to, I know some of my friends, uh, I know this community is that people feel so depleted. They don't know where to start fixing it. Or for example, I know my friend, she just feels like every week is the same and she's just mm-hmm. getting through it. And there is that lack of like self-enjoyment. What do you say to people that come to you that just have that feeling of like, I am just treading water and like, I don't even know how to start to improve this. Yeah, I think this is a challenging question. And I I think that um, a lot of times when we're, uh, when we're in this place, this is where we're like, we are in burnout. We've reached it. We're kind of like numbing out or we're disconnecting or we're um, losing it all the time. There's different signs of burnout. Um, I'd say the very first thing, and I know this can sound abstract, so I'm going to try to bring it to life a little bit, but the number one thing you can start to do is just stop or slow down. And when I, and when I say stop or slow down, you can do it on the toilet. Okay. Don't take your phone in the bathroom. Instead, just go sit in peace for a minute alone on the toilet. Don't, don't gosh, anytime we pick up our phone, I know I want engagement mm-hmm. on social. You do, we all do. Right. But like anytime you pick up your phone in a quiet moment, you're not letting your brain rest. So take a minute of quiet and stop and tune into yourself. Just almost do. This is what my book is about. It gives a plan for this, but like tune into you and look at 
what do I need? I feel like a lot of times with moms, we have poured ourselves so deeply into everybody else and everything else for so long that we don't even know what we need anymore. And so part of coming back into ourselves is taking a nanosecond to stop and be like, what do I need right now? Do I need space? Do I need quiet? Do I need to work at getting better at asserting my needs? Do I need a snack? Do I, right? Like just taking a minute and working on getting better about regularly checking in on yourself and assessing what you need. And I think that um, sometimes you won't be able to meet that, that whatever you come up with, you might not be able to do it. Like, oh, I need a, you know, I need an hour long workout. I need to pick something heavy up and like discharge. Um, you might not have that time, but if you can define it, that's going to give you some relief. Uh, and then other times it might just be a small, a small change, something like, gosh, I'm really beating myself up right now. Like I'm recognizing, holy crap. Like I am just talking to myself in the most horrible ways. I need to stop and I need to shift and I need to focus on all the stuff I'm doing really well. And that alone will hit the release valve. And I think as moms, and this is like so easy to implement in our busy schedules, you can do it at pickup. You can do it on the toilet. You can do it when you take a quick shower. Like you can do this anywhere, but the better we get at reconnecting to ourselves, what we need, what brings us meaning, all of these different things, um, the more we can become empowered and take charge of, of becoming more like the selves we want to be feeling whole in motherhood and woman. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's so challenging because we just were on a podcast right now. People are listening to us and, and then we're giving this advice that's like, but sometimes you have to listen to yourself. You know, I'll go for walks without my phone. I'll, when I'm in the shower, I don't need to put music on. I just, that that's when I can hear myself. Yeah. And I think that we're, we're, you know, playing music or doing whatever every minute, we're not giving ourselves the chance to see what's really coming up for us. We're so intuitive, but we can't use that intuition if we can't hear it. And so just taking some pauses, um, in, in your listening habits, because when you do have kids there and they get to the talking age, they're talking to you so much too. You're like, I never have a, a time to have a thought here. Okay. So it's sensory overload. So you're, I love what you're saying. Like we have to give space for our intuition and our voices to be heard. Yeah. And one thing that I do love, if I do go into that, like I'll be, you know, hard on myself is a really good mantra. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are a few that you think our listeners could use? Yeah, I wrote these ones down. So um, one is how I feel now will not be how I feel forever. Mm. And this is something my dad actually came up with. He calls it the myth of the eternal present. Um, this applies even to relationship crises where you're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. And this will be my life till the end of time. And that's just not how life works. And so I think it's a good reminder that that's a myth. So things shift, things change. Um, there's all the breathing ones. I'm going to skip those because I feel like those are, those are just like, we talk a lot about taking deep breaths and things like that. Um, another one is what I feel is normal and it will pass. I think a lot of times we can get really, um, like that mom rage thing. Hopefully, mm -hmm. I mean, you want to learn how to deal with it, but like there's moments that are enraging and I think it's normal sometimes to feel really upset in motherhood or frustrated or any of this stuff. So, um, to normalize it instead of judge it. 
and condemn yourself, I think is really important. Uh, when I put this in perspective, it won't change the outcome of my life. Uh, we tend to have big worries about things like, oh, I phrased this wrong. Now I'm going to have a codependent child, right? This sort of stuff. So I think that it's important to keep perspective, to sometimes zoom out and see there's a big picture here. And, um, you know, how I do stuff in my life is is not usually, it's very rarely determined by like the singular moment, like the outcome of my life or the outcome of my relationship with my kids is usually I know there are exceptions, but usually not defined by a singular moment. So it's the composite picture of all of the little moments. And so um, sometimes we need that reminder in a hard moment. Mm. Well, I love talking to you. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> so for our listeners that have also enjoyed this, can you please let them know where they can find more of you? Yes. I love talking to you too. I know. I think we could just keep going on and on. So uh, you can find me on Instagram, Dr. Morgan Cutlip. It's all one word. There's no period in that. Um, you can also, um, a lot of what I'm talking about and the actual specifics of like this check-in I'm talking about can be found in my book that's coming out in September called Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself. And um, it's for pre-order now. And then I have a bunch of free gifts for moms. It's um, how to talk to your partner about the mental load, a mom guilt, goodbye mom guilt guide, and then some scripts for burnout support. And all of that can be found through my Instagram or our website, mylovethinks.com. All right. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you shared it on Instagram, tagging Expecting and Empowered and Dr. Morgan Cutlip. Thank you so much. Thank you.